Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. The best of women are at their best, still women. The best of men, even at their very best, are still men. And people, men or women, were never meant to give you what God alone We hope you find this message encouraging. If you have your Bibles and want to turn with me, they're going to have it on the screen for you. But it's a portion of Scripture that I think is hard to do justice to in one setting, okay? And uh, I'm going to try, okay? I'm, I'm really attempting one sermon, one Sunday kind of deal here. And I know some of you say, can he do it? I don't know. I, even I don't know. So we'll, we'll just see how it goes. Isaiah chapter 6, though. And uh, it's such a strong portion of Scripture that I think we could almost just read it these eight verses that we're going to read, and we could probably just take a quiet time and go home and say, hey, we've been in the presence of the Lord. But there's just a few things the Lord's been impressing me with. And uh, the title of my message is, Who is your Uzziah? Isaiah, at least at some point, had his eyes on the king. And that's where his faith was. We'll see what happened through the process of this. But we know that it was such an important thing, uh, that Uzziah was such an important person in Isaiah's life that he even measured time by it. He did not state a year. This is how he starts out. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. In other words, it wasn't 2018. It was the year that King Uzziah died. And you know when that was, and I know when that was, and it was a monumental thing in our lives. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. When he saw an empty throne, then he saw the Lord. And he was sitting on a lofty throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces. And with two wings they covered their feet. That's a posture of humility and humbleness before the Lord. You know, your, your shield in your head, I, I, I just can't believe where I'm at. And then you've got to keep them things covered. I mean, them dogs that you got, you got to keep them covered. You know, um, the scripture that says, beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel. That's got to be in a spiritual sense, because you ain't never seen my feet, amen? So these angels were covering their feet, and they were covering their faces, being humble before the Lord, and with two, they flew. In other words, the Lord never overloads us in what he has called us to do. They only had, the, they had six wings, and they only used two of them to fly in the presence of the Lord. The rest of them, they were taking care of being holy and humble before the Lord. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And the entire building was filled with smoke. In other words, symbolizing the presence of the Lord. And then I said, it is all over. I am doomed as doomed can be. Wait, that's not what he said. I'm, as, I'm doomed, <laughs> for I'm a sinful man. 
I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips and he, with it, and he said, See, this coal has touched your lips, and now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send? as a messenger to this people. And who will go for us? Realize that the singular of our Heavenly Father and the multiplicity of the Trinity were all there in one place. He said, who shall I send and who shall go for us? Talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Isaiah was so moved and so touched, he said, here am I, Lord. Send me. Let's pray one more time over the message, and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, it is an awesome thing when we can open it up and, and feel your presence just by reading it. And Lord, that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, would you move among us, your people? Walk in and out of every aisle and up and down every row, and Lord, that you would just meet us where we are. And you know that, like Isaiah, we are a, we're an undone people. And we always and forever stand in need of your presence and your grace and your mercy, and we thank you for that. And Lord, we ask you for a vision of your glory and how high and lifted up you are. And we thank you, Lord, for, for just as, a, as awesome a God as you are for taking time out to be with us. We just give you praise and honor and glory for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody say it again, amen. So, here's the situation. This was a monumental time in Isaiah's life. Isaiah, tradition has it, this is extra biblical, but Jewish tradition has it, that Isaiah was either a cousin to or a nephew of Uzziah. So this was not only his king, but a family member, somebody he looked up to, that big brother kind of thing. Uh, If you had an older brother, you know what that's like. He he just was awesome. And Isaiah was just a little bit younger than him, according to where you look and get what dates of when, when they were born. But Uzziah, just a little bit older than him. Uzziah is a standout as far as the kings of Judah and uh, of the whole of Israel. This was during the time whenever there was a split kingdom, okay? This, or actually, the northern kingdom was already gone at this time. But they had a civil war, kind of like we had a civil war. The only thing, it stuck, okay? They, they were separated from that point on. There was the northern kingdom of Israel. There was the southern kingdom of Judah. And of all the kings that they had after David... Uh, Solomon was, of course, a great king, but next to him would be Uzziah. Uzziah came into, into power of the kingdom whenever he was 16 years old. If you can imagine that. Here's the keys to the car, son. Oh, yeah, and here's the kingdom. Okay, you think about that. And you would have to say, man, this is a a bad deal here. You put a 16-year-old in charge of things, it might not work out real good. And all the parents said. But the thing was, 
Uzziah realized that he was lacking, realized that he didn't know everything, that he wasn't all that in a bag of chips, and he called on the Lord. And the Lord made him a promise that as long as he would seek him, he'd be with him. And Uzziah, next to Solomon, was the greatest king that the kingdom of Israel, the people of Israel, ever had. And he reigned for 52 years. We can't wrap our brains around that. I mean, the longest that we have a national leader is eight years. Some of them are four years, some of them are eight years. And sometimes, I mean, that seems like a long time, but you think about 52 years. Isaiah, the prophet, had never known another king. And he was a grown man at this point. Uzziah, under the Lord's gifting and, and talenting and everything, he invented stuff. He was, he was a, a groundbreaker, pardon the pun, in agricultural things. He was really one that set forth Israel's being able to grow crops like they did and, and, and have things like uh, along those lines and agriculture things. God gave him ideas of what to invent. And it says, this is in 2 Chronicles 26, if you want to look it up, that he invented engines to put on the ramparts of the wall that shot arrows and hurled great stones. This is 700 B.C., before Christ. 350 years before the catapult was invented. Do you realize, before the Middle Ages, this is a long time before that. And God gave him ideas, and there's people that have kind of simulated the, the engines of war that he had that would hurl great stones and shoot arrows at their enemies. And this was a, a great time of peace. It was a, a great time of national pride. Man, we are, we are there. We have arrived. We are the stuff. And, I mean, there was, a, there was an awesome time of peace because he was so powerful militarily. He was a great great leader along those lines. And for 52 years, he led the kingdom. And it was awesome. Until the time when he got a little high and lifted up in his own mind, and he did some stuff. You can read that in, in 2 Chronicles 26 if you want to. And right now there's some of you, what do he do? What do he do? You have to, you know, it's okay to read your Bibles out of church. So I'll leave you that little cliffhanger there. And so what happened was he was struck with an illness and then later died. There are some people that surmise that Isaiah wrote this at the time that he was struck down. There was a period of time, several years, about 14 years there, that he was sick. And there are some people that surmise that Isaiah wrote this at the time that he got sick, that it was such a tumultuous fall from, from the kingdom and being king. His son had to take over. He couldn't, couldn't any longer be the king. But he had reigned for 52 years. So this was, this was a, a fall of somebody he knew, somebody he loved, somebody that represented the national pride of Israel, somebody that represented success and stability and peace and just about everything, innovation. And all of a sudden he's toppled. And Isaiah had his eyes on him. 
And the thing that, that sometimes we do is we look at people. We get our eyes on a leader or, or some person, and they're the answer, and, and maybe you know them, and, and maybe they are really, really blessed, and maybe they aren't very, very successful, but sometimes what we do is we put our faith in the wrong things. And this was the case for Isaiah. I mean, here he was measuring time by Uzziah's life. He was his world. He was all that. And so what happens is there's several things that I want to look at. And there are so many different ways. We could go a dozen different ways that I can think of with this scripture. But there's three things that I want to share with you this morning. And I know some of you are saying, yeah, right. Three things I want to share this morning. Okay? And we're getting into it early enough that I think we'll be able to finish. Okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to get finished. But number one, who is your Uzziah? Who is it in your life that enabled you to, to they were the wind beneath your wings, to quote a, a secular song. You've heard me talk about in life, there are people in your life that are your hot air balloon of life. You can be down in the dumps, and you can call them and talk to them for five minutes. Five minutes! And you feel like the weight of the world is off your shoulders. I mean, you can call them, and they just... You might be on the telephone to them, and, and it makes you smile just to hear their voice. There are other people in your life that are the slow leak in your hot air balloon. And you can get a call from them, and just their name showing up on caller ID, and it's like, oh, my God. Should I answer it? Should I not answer it? Do, do, I, do I just text them back? I'm sorry, I can't talk right now, whatever it is. And you can talk to them for five minutes on the telephone, and you feel like all your energy has been expended for the whole day. I mean, you just need a nap after you talk to them. Some of you, don't look at them. Keep your eyes on me. Don't look across the aisle. But Uzziah was the hot air balloon in a lot of people's lives, and especially in Isaiah's life. He was the person that brought, just to look at him, just to know that he was there, was awe-inspiring. And there are people like that for us. It might be a, a parent, might be a mom or a dad, it might be a grandparent, it might be a teacher, it might be somebody, might be a boss even. Some of you rolling your eyes and say, not mine. It might be somebody that gave you a chance when you didn't even deserve a chance. It might be somebody that saw something in you from, from way far away and said, I want to help you go further faster than you ever thought possible. And who is it in your life that you have never taken the opportunity or the time to say thank you? And for myself... The person that comes to mind almost instantly is my grandfather. My grandfather, my, my maternal grandfather, my mom's dad, was a, a very, very, very skilled person, technically. And I always hated to go to town and do shopping, okay? And all the men that hate to go shopping say, amen. Even as a kid, I hated to go to town. I didn't want to go. All it, was, it was boring. So what I started doing was, at about eight years old, I started 
begging my mom, could I stay with, with my granddad? I called him Paul. Some of you call him Big Daddy. Some of you call him Paul Paul. I, I don't know what you call your grandfather. But mine was Paul. And I said, let me stay with Paul. I'll, I'll help him. I'll skip and fetch and get tools and stuff. So here I am at eight years old. And I was always a mechanically minded person. And so I started staying with him instead of going to town. And I would help him and I learned. And the next thing you know, he's, 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 he's going to pay me a little bit. And I said, keep the money by welding rice. Teach me how to weld. And, I, of course, I didn't realize what it was like to be, you know, he was at that time probably 70 years old. I mean, he, if he had suspenders on, he would have popped them. And he said, I'm going to pay you, and I'll teach you how to weld, too. And so, man, the next thing you know, at 11 years old, I was welding for the public. He had a little job shop that he, and my grandfather's retirement consisted of having a shop <laughs> and working every day. Uh, he didn't like to fish, didn't like to hunt, nothing along those lines. His hobby was work. And so he worked every day, six days a week, Monday through Saturday. And if we got caught up, we'd leave about 4 o'clock on Saturday. <laughs> Taking a break, you know. So that's how much he loved it. Well, I fell in there with him. He taught me how to weld, taught me how to do mechanic work, taught me how to do machine work, everything. And that absolutely, by the time I was 19... When I hired into Briggs and Stratton, that you've heard me talk about so many times, Jonathan, Jonathan's keeping up with it. I think how many times I mention it. <laughs> he laughs at me because I mentioned it almost every Sunday. But when I hired into Briggs and Stratton, I had years, years and years, uh, almost a decade's worth of experience. I mean, these guys couldn't believe it. Here I am, just a kid, and 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 so within. 13 months of hiring in off the street into maintenance, I topped out into maintenance 13 months later because I knew it. I knew the job. that My grandfather absolutely allowed me to go further faster than I ever could have. Maybe it was somebody that taught you how to do office work or, or, or gave you a chance to, to hire in on a job that maybe you didn't even deserve. Who is it in your life that you could chalk up and say, this is the person that allowed me to be who and what I am today? If they are still around, take time today to tell them thank you. If they're not around, give it to the Lord and say, Lord, would you pass that on? Would you pass that message on to them? I appreciate what they did. So here was Isaiah, had all of his hope in there, never got a chance to say thank you. There's nothing in there that says it. And when, he, when Uzziah was taken out of the, off the scene, boom, it was instantaneous. He never got to see him again. Don't let that opportunity slip by. Who is it that, has, that you have looked up to that gave you an opportunity that you've never said thank you to? Number two, you've got to give them their props. They were fantastic, helped you out a lot, but be careful where you place your faith. This was where the problem lied with Isaiah. He put his faith in, uh, in Uzziah. He put him up on a pedestal. He was like God. And whenever his world came crashing down, 52 years of leadership, the only king that he'd ever known, the only person that ever represented peace and national pride and security and innovation and everything that we talked about earlier was taken out. Boom. And Isaiah was left kind of floundering. 
He, uh, he, he didn't know what to do. He was so wrought. I mean, you can, you can almost imagine through tear-stained eyes that he's, he's looking at that empty throne and wondering, what are we going to do now? How are we going to go on? Who's going to take his place? What is going to happen? So much so that he kind of lost hope. And see, here's the thing that I want to warn you about. You give them their props. Sometimes we need to doff our chapeau to those who have helped us along, to those who lead us, to those who are, are, are good. I hope you get some benefit from me being your pastor. But let me tell you one thing. Please, please, please don't put your faith in me. Why? Because I, the best of women are at their best still women. The best of men, even at their very best, are still men. And people, men or women, were never meant to give you what God alone can. Amen? It's like a towing capacity. If you've got something, something you want to haul, you don't get something lightweight to pull it with. Why? Because it's going to start pushing you. I'll never forget, I was tearing down a barn one time, getting the lumber out of it. So Angie and I bought a farm years ago. And uh, nothing on this farm except trees and grass and weeds, honeysuckle vines. And so I was going to build a barn, and I, where I was presently living, had a barn, and it wasn't selling. So I just said, hey, I'll tear the barn down. This is a, a, a 30 by 100 tool, open front tool shed. So I, slowly but surely, every day I'd go over there and work on it, and I got the tin off of it, and I got the lumber off of it, and I, so I would make a load every day whenever I came home. And I was trying to get it done because we had a, had a deal on the place, and so I was needing to get it done, so I was rushing. And so what I would do is, uh, like, the, where the tin, to get it off without bending it up and everything, I just had a big pair of nippers, and I'd nip all the nails, pull that sheet of tin off there, stack it up. So there was lots of nails in this lumber, and I'd, I was going to pull it out. So I would take a trailer load home every time I would go home. And I'd pull it up in the edge of the yard, and I would pull those nails out in my spare time because <laughs> I was working full-time, building a house, tearing down a barn. You can imagine I had lots of spare time. And so I would uh, I'd pull those nails out whenever I had a chance. It's just out there in the middle of the yard, so... I just, whenever I got a chance, I'd go out there and pull a few nails. Well, it, it's coming up a storm one time, and I'm like, I don't want that tin to blow away, and I don't want to get this wood all wet. I'll go get the tractor and pull that down to the barn that, that I had access to, and I'll pull it in. And I, I walked out the door, and there's a the four-wheeler. I thought, I ain't going to go get that tractor. I'll just jump on that four-wheeler. It had a hitch on the back, put the trailer on it, and I start down my driveway, which was at an angle about like that. Well, I get about a third of the way down there, and I start gaining some pretty good speed. And I hit the brakes on that four-wheeler, and guess what? It didn't help a thing, okay? Only thing it started doing was that trailer started pushing on that four-wheeler, so I'm giving it this. And this is a pretty steep hill and a pretty long hill. My driveway was 1,000 yards long, and the b barn that I had access to was down at the bottom of the hill. So I, I bumped them brakes a little bit. Well, that thing starts a jackknife, and I'm like, this ain't going to, you know, this is not going to end well. <laughs> there are certain times in your life whenever you're doing something, and, and there are certain epiphanies that you have, certain moments of vision, I guess you'd say, that you have, 
exactly what were you thinking whenever you started this? <laughs> At what point did this seem like a bad idea? So I'm about a third of the way down the hill, and it starts seeming like a pretty bad idea. So I'm trying to get that thing stopped, and finally I realize, hey, if I try to stop it, it's going to jackknife, it's going to turn that trailer over and all that lumber on top of me, and I'm going to die right here in the middle of my driveway, just trying to keep this stuff from getting wet. So you know what I did? I let her go. Actually, I gave her a little bit of gas. I'm going to keep ahead of this. Even if it turns over, I'm going to stay on the front side of it. Maybe I won't get up under it. And so what I realized at that particular moment was, if you're going to pull a load, you need something heavy enough to pull it. Amen? More than that, heavy enough to stop it. And so <laughs> what I'm getting at is we're, humans have a towing capacity. We have a capacity to meet a certain need at a certain time, and past that and beyond that, it exceeds our capabilities. Only God can meet everyone's needs consistently. You may have a friend, you may have this person that I talked about. Who is it that you're Uzziah? Uzziah had the capacity to meet a lot of needs to a lot of people, but he couldn't meet everybody's needs. And there are some times in our life, if we get our eyes on the wrong people or the wrong things, they let us down. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you, just with a nod of your head, somebody has let you down somewhere down the line? Why? Probably because you were expecting more than they could deliver. You exceeded their towing capacity. And what we got to realize is everybody's human. I, I, as I said, I hope you get some benefit from me being your pastor, but let me guarantee you I'm going to let you down sometime. Some of you may be saying, already today, when is this going to end? I'm just telling you, don't put your eyes on me for things that only God can meet. And, and don't, don't get your eyes on anybody, a national leader or a local leader or somebody in your family or your spouse or somebody that you know that may, maybe they are that hot air balloon in your life and maybe they do lift you up, but don't exceed their towing capacity. Because the best woman at her best is still just a woman. And the best man at his very, very best is still just a man. Be careful in who you put your faith in. Always keep your faith in God. We, we should honor people that, that, that are a blessing to us. We should tell them. We should take the moment and say, hey, I appreciate you. But not let it go further than that. In other words, give them their props. But be careful where you place your faith. Only God can meet every need consistently. Somebody say amen. So, number three. And yes, he said number three. And oh yes, we're going to get done today. Hallelujah. Awesome thing. Realize there's a connection between tribulation and you receiving revelation. Here was Isaiah. And this was probably... The darkest hour of his life. This was probably, if you equate it to things, see, we have a hard time wrapping our brain around. Here he had been, the only leader Isaiah had probably ever known. He had been in power for 52 years. That's a long time. A lifetime for Isaiah. 
Here he was, all those things that he represented to Isaiah, all, that, all the national pride and security and peace and, and, and all that stuff that, that he represented. And he was gone. Shot two blanks. Let me reload. There we go. <laughs> that quick, he was gone. No opportunity to say goodbye, no opportunity. All of a sudden, it was just over. It was done. And so it was at his darkest hour. Here he is measuring even time by Uzziah. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. This was a monumental time in Isaiah's life. He was grieving. He was sad. He was heartbroken. What are we going to do now? And ultimately, it comes down to this. He had to reach the realization that there was something beyond just what he was able to see or experience on, on his own. It was in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. In other words, he looked beyond the empty throne that's on this planet the empty throne that Uzziah left behind, and he was able to see something that he had never, ever seen before and probably never even contemplated. Do you realize this was his calling to be a prophet? That's how monumental it was in his life. He was not the prophet that we know, Isaiah, until this moment. And he had this vision of God and who he was and that he could meet every need that his towing capacity exceeds anything that we could ever want need feel anything there is his towing capacity is larger than that and so all at once he's feeling all these emotions all this sadness all this grief all these things are going on and then I saw the Lord high and lifted up and here were these Seraphim, these gigantic angels that flew around and, and, and my goodness gracious. It's hard for me to even explain what I've been seeing. Ezekiel saw it. John saw it. Daniel saw it. All of them trying to explain it. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and these angels were flying around and they were worshiping him and crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Ezekiel said, I saw wheels and wheels and wheels. And I think he saw God's car. Amen, Doug? He just, he, he focused like most guys are. I saw wheels. I mean, they had to be 28 or 30 inch wheels. He was seeing God's car. Paul says it this way. He said, I went, I went up into heaven and the, the things that I saw, I'm going to try to tell. No, I can't even explain it. Fact is, I would do such a poor job of explaining it, it would be against the law for me to even try. That's what Paul said about it. And John says it was, it was like a crystal sea and it, it was like a, a crystal river and, and it, was, it, was like, it was like crystal. And it was like, and it was like, and it was like, and, you know, I, 
I've heard some people say, man, heaven's going to be boring. We're just standing around. And what kind of egomaniac is God that everybody's got to be praising him? I mean, here, they, here these angels were crying, flying around, and it's in the present tense, so it's still happening today. These angels that were covering their face and covering their feet and flying with the other set of wings, they were crying out, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And you might say, well, what kind of egomaniac is God that he's got to have that, have these, make these creatures do that? He doesn't make them do it. He lets them do it. And see, when John describes these four uh, creatures, he says they, were, they had four faces. On one side, it was the face of a man. On one side, it was the face of an eagle. On the other side, it was the face of a lion. And on the other side, the face of an ox. So they're able to see in all directions. So they're up there flying in the air. And they just got through crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you might say, well, how many times could they do that? As many times as they can see something new that he's done. Every time they think they're through, well, that's got to be the last one. Holy, holy, holy. Amen. And then the next one, he's flying around and he sees something new that God's done. Holy, holy, holy. Can you believe this? And it's forever happening and will always be forever happening because God's glory never ends. And the whole earth is full of his glory. Especially if we can get our eyes off our situation and get our eyes off of this present condition that we are in. Sometimes, and I'm as bad as anybody, sometimes I get all caught up on what's happening to me. And I get the woe is me, I can't believe this. Isaiah had that same thing whenever he saw the, saw the, the vision of God. And, and he said, oh my goodness gracious, I, woe is me. Because I'm undone. I have unclean lips, and you've got to realize that tradition has it that Isaiah was probably one of the most, he was the orator among orators of the prophets. Some of the tradition in the Jewish tradition says that when Isaiah would speak or, or his prophecies were read, that people would just stand there like, wow. I mean, we still quote it all the time. We were bruised for his iniquities. And I just, it just left me. Somebody help me. We were bruised for, he was bruised for our iniquities. Wounded, he was wounded for our transgression. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we were healed. Amen. We quoted at Christmas all the time. Wonderful counselor, prince of peace. We, all these thousands of years later, roughly 2,700 years later, we're still quoting him. And we read those scriptures and we still say, wow. And they say in person he was even more so. And what did he say? Woe is me because I've got unclean lips. His greatest gift was what all of a sudden he saw as his greatest sadness. He realized that his greatest gift that God had ever given did not measure up. That he couldn't say enough good. Woe is me because I've got unclean lips. 
the orator among orators said. And what happened? God took care of it, sent, sent one of those seraphim with a, a hot coal from the altar, said, your lips have been cleansed. Now who are you going to talk about? I think I know. I think this is who I'm going to talk about the rest of my life. Amen? What I'm telling you is that sometimes we've got to realize where our hope should lie and that any time we go through tribulation, we ought to be expecting a revelation. As I said, John and Paul and Ezekiel, everybody that ever got close to God, at their lowest point, John's on this island, been, been, they, they tried to kill him. He's been banished to a desert island for the rest of his life as far as they're concerned. Tribulation will bring revelation. Paul's in prison. Uh, there, I mean, if he, if he was able to foresee, he knew he was going to die for the cause of Christ, and yet he had that vision of God that he said, if I tried to tell you what it all looked like, it'd, I wouldn't do a good enough job. It'd be against the law. Bless you. Cause and effect. If I sneeze, okay, it just happened. Regina, was that you that sneezed? Okay. <laughs> and see, it was spontaneous. And that's the same thing that those angels that are flying around, they see the holiness of God, see the, His glory filling the earth. What is their response? A natural, normal response. Holy, holy, holy. And so whenever we're in tribulation, it's awfully easy for us to put on blinders, awfully easy for us to get myopic. Anybody know what myopia is? Nearsightedness. <laughs> that's, that's the official name of it. That's why some of you have glasses with the readers in the bottom. You got myopia. And it's awfully easy for us to get myopia. And we're just looking at myopia. My, me, mine, I. And we get so nearsighted that we can't see what's out there. And I'm going to tell you something, if we ever get a vision of God's glory, if we get just a little bitty glimpse of it, if we realize how, how small we are, how big He is, we can't help but say, holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come. Amen? And, and the thing that we've got to do is realize that we ought to be expecting, if, if there was ever a benefit to being down, if there was ever been a benefit to, to going through tough times, it is that God is getting ready to give us a little glimpse of who He is and a little glimpse of His glory. Mary, Mary and Martha, prime example. Here's their brother Lazarus. They sent for Jesus. Oh, would you come and heal our brother? And what did Jesus do? He tarried. And once he knew it was all over, here he shows up. And what was their response? 
Oh, if you'd just gotten here a little earlier, you could have healed him. And he says, do you believe? Oh, I I believe. You know, do you believe he can live? Yes, I believe there's a resurrection of the dead. Yes, we're Pharisees, and we believe there's a resurrection of the dead. And he says, no, can you believe it now? Because I am the resurrection and the life. They knew him as a healer or they'd have never called for him. The thing they didn't ever see until that moment was he was the resurrection and the life. Whatever situation you are in, it may seem big, it may seem terrible, it may seem full of tribulation, but guess what? God's saying, I want to show you a little bit of my glory. Thank you.